Welcome, welcome to the Sharp 600. My name is Joe Fortenball, and it is great to have you here for an episode that we are calling NBA Take Two. For those of you, and I don't fault any of you that do this, I used to do this back in the day, but you get so wrapped up in college football and pro football that you just completely dismiss the NBA and the NHL through the first half of the season. Then when football ends, you want to jump back in. The problem is you've missed 30 to 40 games. That's what we are here to solve today, that problem. We're going to take care of it because my good friend Rob Perez is going to jump on and give us a primer on what you missed in the first half of the season as well as what's going to be coming up in the second half. The storylines you should be watching, the teams and players you should be watching, everything you need to pay attention to. In addition, on Friday, we will drop our NFL Divisional Round Preview. So four games will get you set for the weekend in the NFL. We'll look to make some money. Last weekend was a bit of a struggle. We're going to put it in the rearview mirror. And we're going to get this thing moving in the right direction. But for right now, let's turn our attention back to the NBA. I'm talking about. Go back to SeaWorld. He is the co-host of Buckets, which you can catch on Bicycle and ESPN. Season 2 has just dropped. You can follow him on Twitter at world underscore wide underscore wob. It's Rob Perez joining us here on the Sharp 600. Rob, as always, I greatly appreciate your time. Dude, let's jump right into it. Season 2 of Buckets just dropped. How you feeling, man? You're a celebrity these days. Uh, it's, it's been a process. Again, I think the first time I, I spoke to you about it, I always say we've gone from pizza rolls to prime time because, again, the show just started off as a random periscope about eating pizza rolls, but uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears have gone into it, and uh, we're hoping to give the basketball crazy fans out there a lens into the basketball culture side of things. Uh, which is what the show ultimately is. I've been following you on Twitter for at least five years. It's one of the best Twitter accounts out there. But now to see you in this space, it's awesome because you follow a guy's career and then all of a sudden it blows up and you're like, man, I knew him before any of that even happened. Tell me what it's been like for you to go from season one to season two. What's what's that transition been like? What have you learned? What's been easier? What's been more challenging? Right. So you you hit the nail on the head there that I think part of the reason why this show is successful in the first place is because people like yourself that have feel like they've been a part of the show since the very first episode. This is not something that hockey sticks overnight. This is something that was a very slow cooking in the pot, you know, stirring it with little different variations of content throughout time. So the audience that we have is very, uh, not, not culty, but they're, they're very vested in that they feel like they're part of the show. In addition to that, many in, in the first season, the, in the current season now, the commenters, uh, they help brainstorm the segments that we actually do on the program. So they're coming up with these ideas, and I credit them as much as I can. Uh, the engagement of the audience is ultimately why I think it's gotten to this point. And the difference, you know, from what we've done in the past to now is we have Cassidy Hubbard as the co-host. She is my rock in every facet of the word, whether it's on set or she's giving me dating advice and stuff like that. The, the relationship between the two of us has really taken this show to the next level. Well, you two are killing it. You're doing a fantastic job, and you're not the only ones in the NBA space killing it. Your boy, Kristaps Porzingis, is having a monster season. Um, I You follow the Knicks. You're all over the Knicks on a regular basis, in addition to the rest of the NBA, but I know there's a lot of Knicks stuff. Tell me something. In the post-Carmelo Anthony era, if you had one word or one phrase to describe the Knicks, what would it be? Uh, 
I'd say optimistic at this point. Uh, once the Joe Kim Noah contract comes off the books for us, you're looking at a team centered around Christoph Porzingis with pretty reasonable contracts. And ultimately, Knicks fans at this point, we've been through 20 years of trying to shuffle different former NBA All-Stars into our mix. Seeing us build around a phenom, a talent, and a reasonable contract at the time, which is Christoph Porzingis, is ultimately all that we can ask for. I think my prediction was 38 wins for this Knicks team this season, which is uh, again, a little optimistic if we're going to continue the work here. But um, I, I think we're, we're as pleased, realistically pleased as we can be. It's a different team that doesn't just throw the ball to Noah on the block 18 feet away from the rim. You can tell there's ball movement. These guys really care, and they feel like they're, they're playing for contracts and playing for, for more than just being a star. That's not a shot at Carmelo Anthony. It's just simply a different style of play, which we haven't seen in a long time with this club. First half of the season in the books, what would you say the biggest surprise has been so far? I think at this point it's the Miami Heat. The fact that they are sitting fourth uh, as of this moment, fourth in the Eastern Conference with a team that is you have to credit Eric Spolster at this point because he's proven he can win with superstars, blending those massive personalities and Bosch, Wade, and LeBron all in their prime. And then when they leave, he can take a team to the playoffs, which he's done multiple years, and get them in the top 50% of the playoff standings with what? Uh, Hassan Whiteside that's been 70% this entire year, Gordon Dragic, James Johnson. That is, that is really, really impressive. Flip side, what's been the biggest disappointment to you for the first half of the NBA season? Oh, hmm. you're going to make me throw someone under the bus here, huh? Um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> I, this is the gambling you know, world's version of this is the gambling world's version of sixty minutes. We ask the very hard questions here. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to be honest. I'm a little, um, I'm a little disappointed, despite them being in the Western Conference. The Oklahoma City experiment to me is we're at New Year's, which means we've been playing basketball for three months now. I have no clue how this team is going to make the conference finals, let alone beat someone like the Warriors. Maybe it's the mixture of personalities to me on the actual basketball court that just doesn't like work. But I am, I'm disappointed because I really wanted them to be the contender uh, to face, actually give the Warriors a seven-game series. As of this moment in January, things can change. We still have three months left. I am not sold on the Thunder being that threat. Do Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics have what it takes to get past LeBron James and win the Eastern Conference? Oh, my God. Um, they have what it takes. Here's the problem is that you always have to look at a series against LeBron James and you have to beat him Four out of seven times in what is a week and a half. That is a lot more daunting on the court than it actually sounds. Can Kyrie Irving be game seven Kyrie Irving against the Warriors where he hit that shot and carried them to the championship? Can he be that Kyrie Irving four out of seven times when there's back-to-backs? against LeBron, who will likely be switching onto him in the fourth quarter to try and lock him down. That is a lot to ask for from someone who is not of the physical stature of LeBron James. 
Um, I'm going to just say no out of safety reasons, but if there's any team in the Eastern Conference that's equipped to take them to seven games, it is the Boston Celtics, and they must, absolute must, have home court advantage against them. Otherwise, they're toast. All right, let's stick with the Cleveland Cavaliers for a second. They're still holding on to a very valuable trade asset, which is that first-round pick they acquired from the Celtics, who acquired it from the Nets, and this all goes back to that Kyrie Irving trade. Do you see the Cavaliers using that pick before the trade deadline to get LeBron James more help to beat the Warriors this year? This is without a doubt the most burning question in the NBA right now. Second is probably what are the Clippers going to do with DeAndre Jordan. But the Cavaliers have this asset, which is the next pick, like you just said. Brooklyn is not in last place in the Eastern Conference. As a matter of fact, they are four from the bottom. So we're not talking about a guaranteed top three pick like that Brooklyn pick usually is. And if you're the Cavaliers, you have two choices. The first of which is, do you think LeBron James is going to stay in Cleveland? If the answer to that is yes, you use this damn pick to get him as much help as possible. No, no questions asked. On the contrary, if you think he's leaving, these are answers that we don't know. Maybe even Dan Gilbert doesn't know. But if you think LeBron James is leaving, which means the Cavaliers are going to fall apart, you have to hold on to that pick simply for uh, long-term purposes. Now, me personally, I am of the uh, mindset that if LeBron James is on my team, I don't care if he's leaving next year. If he's there, that means I'm going to the finals, and I have one shot to win a title. If the Cavs win the title this year, they can be in last place for the next decade, and not a soul in the city of Cleveland will care. If you have LeBron James on your team, you do everything in your power to surround him with any asset possible, and yes, you do sacrifice the future. You mortgage everything to make it happen. Do you see LeBron James leaving Cleveland after the year? And if so, who do you think the front runner city would be to acquire his services? Uh, I, if I'm, I don't want to go on record and say yes or no if he's leaving, because I don't know the answer to that question. But if I have to speculate about a certain place I think he'll go, if he does leave, I would probably say Los Angeles. The biggest threat to the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference is who? Themselves. Really? Now, what about Houston? How much, how much of, an, of a run could Houston give them if they were healthy come Western Conference Finals time? Here's the problem with Houston, and we've seen it the last two, three seasons. You cannot out-Warriors the Warriors. Stop trying to be the Warriors because they're better at being the Warriors than you are. Mike D'Antoni has been trying to be the Warriors for the past decade and a half, all the way back to his Phoenix days. James Harden and Chris Paul are galactic superstars. They don't have enough after those two to be in a run-and-gun type of game. For I'm bringing back the seven-game series thing here. You're telling me you have to outshoot, out-offense the Golden State Warriors four out of seven times in a week, and the Warriors are a, in a different class when it comes to defense. Let's just say for this conversation it's a complete wash and we're only talking offense. I still don't trust the Rockets to out-Warriors the Warriors because you live, you live by the three, you die by the three. And most teams playing against good squads die by the three. 
I live here in the Bay Area. I work on the Warriors flagship station, 95.7 The Game. So I hear and cover Steve Kerr all the time. He had some very poignant thoughts the other day about LeVar Ball. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Luke Walton used to coach underneath Kerr. And he was coming to Walton's aid. This all goes back to what Ball was saying about Walton losing the team in Los Angeles. Now, you work on the media side of the equation. You've got the show Buckets. You know what it's like to try to get eyeballs on the product, try to generate some revenue, all that good stuff. Is LeVar Ball good for business? Because you got a lot of coaches who are talking about cutting off access to ESPN if they continue to cover the guy. But at the same time, ESPN and other outlets are trying to make money, and this guy is a big draw. So is LeVar Ball good for business? Well, listen, if you're in the business of clicks, yeah, LeVar Ball is great because people are consuming his content. You have to also consider the editorial creative around it, which is what the big controversy is now, if networks should be covering him or not. Uh, me personally, um, I see him as an individual that we did not know a singer, single mem- member of the Ball family unless you are a diehard commenter on Rivals.com that was looking up Lonzo Ball's recruitment to UCLA. Not a soul on earth knew who the Ball family was. And now I'm watching a Facebook live feed on Ball's life where I see the Triple B on center court and his kids are playing professional ball in Lithuania. So I see him as building a brand. There, there are going to be casualties in war, and you don't get to the point that he's at in terms of brand building without pissing some people off. Now, I'm not gonna tell I'm not gonna tell anyone that this likes him. You should like LeVar Ball, but I do respect what he built in terms of being a lightning rod, not only being a lightning rod for content, but getting people just to simply talk about him is a W in twenty eighteen. Let's wrap it up with this one. Team most likely to surge during the second half of the season. So if you were looking around the NBA, teams that might be on middle ground, maybe they got off to a slow start, Oklahoma City is obviously a contender here. Who would be most likely to have a big-time surge second half of the season into the playoffs? I think you already know the answer to this because we've talked about it. It's my boys in the Mile High City of Denver. Yes. Every time I have a, a couple too many adult beverages at night, I always end up tweeting about the Nuggets. This is my, my Utah Jazz from last year where I'm trying to get, get them on people's radars that no one's really talking about them. They're hovering above 500, three, four games. They had a terrible loss last night at home against Atlanta, but they are equipped from 1 through 12. They can run guys out there and run a team like the Rockets or like the Spurs out of the first round simply because they have 12 NBA starters on their squad. So I implore you, anyone that's listening to this, that watch out for the Denver Nuggets, not only the current Denver Nuggets, but they get a guy named Paul Millsap back from injury at some point. Uh, they are my dark horse without a doubt. You and I spoke before the start of the season, and I asked you to give me a win total you really liked. You said Denver. I nodded quietly, and as you were finishing your answer, I was already logging on to an account, firing on the Denver over. I've been watching all those Nugget games in solidarity with you, my friend. <laughs> I, I'm sorry if you know you know the way this works. It's always going to come down to the hook. I'm sure they're going to go on a losing streak, benching some guys in the last week, and we're going to be sweating it out like we do with every other bet that's ever happened. But it is 
it has my confidence. So thank you, Misery Love Company. Let's enjoy this together. Dude, they're so sick at home. Like, as a home team this year, they've been unbelievable. That was exactly your analysis. You talked about their depth. You talked about the advantage of playing at mile high. And through the first half of the season, they've been killers at home. Yeah, and one of the one of the greatest advantages of being the Denver Nuggets is when East Coast teams go on their West Coast road trip, they usually stop in Denver before they head back home. So they hit the California states, you do your overnight in Los Angeles, you go up to Golden State and you play Sacramento, and then you stop in either Utah, Denver, or somewhere in like Texas on the way back. Denver gets a lot of teams coming in there that are at the end of their long road trip, tired, want to go home, and oh, by the way, we're a mile off the ground, we're used to it, and you're not. That's always been my philosophy for this pick. And even if they weren't a mile high, uh, I just like the team in general. They're not going to beat someone like the Warriors, but they can absolutely upset a top three or four seed in the first round. Now those are the betting nuggets, pun intended, that this podcast is built upon. Follow him on Twitter at world underscore wide underscore wob. Catch the show Buckets. He's a co-host with Cassidy Hubberth. It's on Bicycle and ESPN within the bio of this podcast. You can find the link and all the details you'll need. Rob Perez with us here on the Sharp 600. Awesome stuff as always, Rob. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend. Look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks for having me, guys, and go Nuggets. It's pretty. It's so pretty. (laughs) Episode 65 of the Sharp 600 is in the book. Special thanks to Rob Perez for joining us for this NBA knowledge session. We are back on Friday with your divisional round preview. In addition, if you get an opportunity, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate hearing from you. But for now, thanks for tuning in. Be well, and best of luck. Let's go.